Welcome to the What If Podcast with your hosts, Spencer Worth Davis and Ryan Copperood. Hello! Hey! Hi! What's up, bud? Hey! <laughs> how's, uh, how's the first couple days of the home ownership going for you? Well... <laughs> If Face I, your fears, son. <laughs> if I were to use an adjective, I would say swimmingly. Oh. <laughs> because jokes. I'm swimming in my basement. <laughs> That's not where you're supposed to swim, bud. Correct. That's too much too much inside, bud. Actually, I was making a joke with some coworkers today that I was going to get a kiddie pool on a 4th of July sale. And stick it in my basement underneath the leak and just have my 4th of July party underneath my basement bathroom leak. God damn. Guys, <laughs> home ownership is hard. Be careful. You might live in your house for 36 hours hey, at and least have you your bathroom dump fucking gallons of water into your basement. Seat. At least you guys probably have like tons of money in your savings right now, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> You didn't just like spend a bunch of money on something, right? Fucking plumber's coming, and I'm just like, please, Jesus, you beautiful man, <laughs> work some golden magic with your brain. Don't you dare tell me I need to <laughs> work some golden magic with your brain. I don't have to pay you if you use your brain to solve the problem, right? If only, you, only if you start touching stuff. Creative, creative solutions encouraged. Can you, can you will the pipes back together in Whoa, such a way? Uh huh. I was. Bro, my uh, my fiance like did not sleep last night for fear that we were gonna have some fucking five thousand dollar plumbing issue, and like not be able to shower until we could come up with five G's. <laughs> have some uh, some backyard hose showers yeah, for the rest of the summer. She literally threatened to hose me off if <laughs> if there was an issue. Uh, she's like, "Do you think Spencer would ever let you shower at his house?" I was like, "Yeah, but I don't want to." It's not ideal, but yes. <laughs> he- he would, yeah. I wouldn't say that's a long-term solution to <laughs> yeah. our problem, but... So we do live here in terms of where we lay our head at night, just... but most of my toiletries are in the studio. <laughs> you just got to start going to the gym every morning, not to work out, but just to shower before you go to work. It literally, I was already going to join the gym, mm-hmm. uh, the gym in St. Paul across the river from me. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? Might as well do that a little sooner. Cause at least I can shower my ass before Dude, I go to work. During college, uh, over the summers, sometimes you know your living arrangements get a little, a little wonky because you're renting places like during the school year, or you know those college one year leases. The you're, timing sometimes just sucks. Oops, I'm homeless for a month. Or, right, right. Or like we're all sharing one apartment for the next month. Yep. And uh, for two years during college, I worked at this like summer camp that was based out of the campus gym. So. So like we would meet, okay, got it. All yep. the kids at the like the the rec center on campus in the morning, and, and like then play go do games and, and then and yeah, and then break off into groups and go do other stuff. Got it. So a lot of times it, we would all be like, we could just get to work like ten minutes early and shower and brush our teeth there, right? Get out of the way, Dave. <laughs> I'll play dodgeball in ten minutes. <laughs> or like you know you've been out late the night before, especially on Fridays. Oh yeah, everybody'd be rolling in, and be like, ooh. Smell like uh, myself and alcohol right now. Smell like, smell like liquor and cigarettes <laughs> and college boy. Yeah, and yeah, might need to address these before I have to talk to to a six year old's parents. 
in about 20 minutes. <laughs> Why do you smell like grandpa? Dude, literal quote from a from a kid yes. there <laughs> to to my now wife. You smell like my dad. Mm. When when sweating out some uh some alcohol from the night some, before. Some previous <laughs> night booze. Also, sorry kid. Your life sounds like it maybe sucks. <laughs> Or maybe your dad's a really fun drunk. You never know. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> you want to play some voicemails? God damn. Uh, God damn. There it is. Uh, yeah, fuck yeah, man. You guys keep calling. We're going to keep playing. Uh, 612-246-4614 if you want to leave us a voicemail. Uh, we also got some pretty dope-ass stories in the email inbox this week. It's oh, high yeah? at whatifpodcast.com. Tight. One is uh, related to today's episode, which we're going to get to in a second. Tight. But let's uh, let's talk to some listeners. Okay. Um, I'm going to go, I think, in reverse order of of how they were received, maybe. Let's see what happens here. Hello, boys. So I'm listening to your podcast here on Black Hole in Your Basement. And uh, I've been listening to you guys for oh, a few months now. I don't know. But anyways, did I just hear you call Neil DeGrasse Hole an asshole? Oh, my God. You guys are my new fucking heroes. <laughs> I've been saying yes! that Neil is an asshole for years. <laughs> and this guy likes to name drop Carl Sagan like yep. Richard Holguin name drops Gene Roddenberry all the time. Always saying how Sagan was his mentor and shit. Fucking Sagan would roll over in his fucking grave <laughs> if he saw how this guy was oh, was acting. I mean, oh, shit. Tyson uh, liked that nut fuck Machu cuckoo. <laughs> They're only in it for the money and the fame. And I I just hate the guys. And when I heard you say that, well, you guys became my new heroes and oh, my, uh, my my respect for you. Um just increased <laughs> considerably. So th- thanks for the shows. You guys are doing an awesome job, and I, I really do love listening to you. You guys take care now. Oh, hey, and I, I didn't say it. My name's Pete from uh, Wisconsin. <laughs> right? Hey. You take care, buddy. Bye-bye. Shout out to Pete's from Wisconsin. Shout out to Pete's from Wisconsin. Thanks, Pete. Holy shit. Oh, that fucking hey. voicemail is incredible. I swear I did not screen that before I decided I, to open with that no, one. No, we, we we don't really screen these anymore because yeah, you guys Pete. are calling too much. We can't actually like listen to them all before we play them. Also, I'd like to point out a very, very important thing that I think may have been a verbiage slip up, but landed really nicely. I'm pretty sure he called him Neil DeGrasse Hole. I think that was intentional. Was it? Yeah. Because I think he called him Neil DeGrasse Tyson, an asshole. Yeah. Dude, Neil deGrasse Hole Tyson is pretty good. <laughs> Great job, Pete. Fucking top notch, man. You have our respect as well, sir. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Let's try this one. Who this? Who that is? Hey, boys. I, I guess I just keep getting cut off here. I'm afraid you didn't get my phone number. And I know you guys are. Oh, this is a part two. Well,. A part two B. I think so. Bear! <laughs> I think I played that in the wrong order, though. Hold on, let me play this other one first. I think that was. Hey, boys, this is Bear. God, I had to stop in the middle of a podcast and call you. <laughs> now, I don't plan on wearing out your voice message. Please do. But when you do good stuff, and I want to tell you about it, and uh, 
I don't know. If, if you guys ever get a chance, I kind of hope if I call at certain parts of the day, I might even catch you by the phone. But God bless. Like we'll schedule one. Just talk to you guys for a minute. I Hell. got a couple questions. Hell and, yes. But uh, so here, don't give my phone number to anybody except for you two. But it's fair. Oh, uh, well, we can just bleep it out, right? You ready? Yeah, I guess. Eight one two. <laughs> three. That's 812. Ah, uh, you repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> bleep, bleep, bleep. Anyhow, so I'm in the middle of this podcast. I'm enjoying, I found, I found you missing 411, and that was a part one and a part two mm-hmm. and a part three. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the hang of finding your stuff, and then I found, found a part four and part five, and I'm on the one where that poor kid was leaving out a, uh, Australia and heading heading across and anyhow his plane sunk and then a piece washed um, up five years later. Yep. You guys are debating on well what's the likelihood <laughs> that a metal piece is gonna I've never understood it and he's going on and on but it's metal and it sinks and <laughs> well and you're like well not everything sinks well yeah but you know why didn't they find a seat cushion you know because like that's like a flotation that was device me. I think that was me and, yep. and you, on and on, and then you're going like, uh, I don't know, maybe it's stuck to a turtle. <laughs> yes! Uh, maybe a hermit crab was living it. True. God, it's funny shit. You guys <laughs> yes, crack me up. And, and your stuff is, is still interesting, and I'm really interested. Uh, there, you're the fucking man. These boys. Anyhow, give me right. busy and all. So you, you got cut off. Uh, cut off here. Hey boys, there we I, go. I guess I just keep getting cut off here. Two I'm minute limit, Bear. That's okay. Just and keep. I know you guys are busy and wear... all, but no, Bear, wear it out, bro. <laughs> Not too busy for you, my dude. Anytime, uh, or text. Anytime I call you right back, uh, I get phone calls around the clock, so you're not gonna bother me. But my phone number here that comes to you two times. <laughs> oh, Bear, two Uh-oh. times. Hit us with a two times, <laughs> Bear. Six, all right, we'll we'll eight nine. <laughs> we'll edit. Okay, we're we're editing this out. Bleep bleep bleep. And you know, I won't keep you on the phone forever. Just a short phone call, and 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 if you can't do it, I understand that. I'm still listening. You guys are great, but but uh, anyhow, there it goes. <laughs> Boy, you guys, that that stuff's good shit, guys. I mean, that's really good. So there you go, man. Call. We will catch you later. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, Bear, you're the man. Did you hear him not not hang up at the end and then say to somebody else, "Man, these guys are funny." At the end, oh no, that's so good. <laughs> Bear, you gotta hang up the phone, Bear. No, Bear, just keep hey, keep doing your thing, dude. Um, shit, Bear, you're the fucking man, dude. We will, uh, what a guy. yeah, we we will not give your phone number to anyone else. We we will, however, call you. Maybe at the end of the episode, we'll call and we'll put the bear call at the end of this episode. So if you listen to the very end. We'll give Bear a call at the end of the episode. What do you think? Uh, I think that this episode's supposed to be out like ten minutes from now, so maybe we should save that for another time. All right, we'll do, we'll put out a bonus <laughs> episode. What if we call Bear? <laughs> Is it trash? Our phone calls with Bear. You guys can judge. Uh, there's absolutely no possible way that that could be trash because Bear is obviously the fucking man. So. Are they trash? Nope. Bear's amazing. Bear, keep calling, man. Wear out that voicemail. Should we do one more before we get into it? Um, Let's try one yeah, more before sure. we dive we, in. We got a couple more here, I think. Uh, let's see. We got one on 
Sunday, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's see who this is. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, new listener. Recently uh, discovered your podcast. Brian from Connecticut. My brother told me about you guys. He's the one who's been calling in about the ghost in our parents' basement. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The just went up because I also experienced the same thing. Yes. Uh, it's, it's weird. It's just Grandma ghost. I know that it's her, but I can't identify it. But I saw it when I had an ex who was living there, and it, it just felt like hell with her being there. And then afterwards, and she left, you know, just like she knew that the person I was with was the right one. But yeah, man, it's it's nuts. Oh. oh. I, that's that. All right. That's all he had. So grandma, grandma didn't like your ex. Hey, man. She's looking out for you, really. You if know, mama and grandmama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So facts here, here or in another dimension, <laughs> if they're not happy, ain't nobody happy. Also, he said I had an ex living there, and I just want to say I hope that she became your ex after she was living there and was not still your ex while living there. That does sound a little awkward. If if not. I, I also understand why your grandma was pissed because <laughs> I would have been pissed as well if my ex-girlfriend was my ex-girlfriend and was still living under my roof. Yeah. I know we're not like a relationship advice podcast, but don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. If you're thinking about doing that, don't just don't do that. Grandma, grandma was saying that from the grave. She was like, Hey, don't do that. <laughs> hey, uh, uh-uh. nope. Don't do that. We out of here! All right, y'all. Keep calling them. We'll keep playing them. We'll get through them. Brian, you want to talk about people getting abducted by aliens? Well. <laughs> That's what we're really here for, right? That is what we're really here for. I mean, here we're here for. For, for any entertaining bullshit. We're also here for entertaining ghost stories and fucking random voicemails and anecdotes on being alive. Yeah. Uh, You still want to get abducted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Like, for I'm sure, doing for sure. Everything that you would yep. possibly do to mm-hmm. get abducted. Yep. <laughs> wow, you had that one <laughs> fucking ready. It's always uh, on here. Yep. Okay. Like, I have not had any close encounters, and I'm pissed. Also this. Mm-hmm. Also this. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I would prefer like just um, a sighting, or like a uh, like a little on Earth on land communication. Like sure. Maybe don't like force me to go somewhere. That'd be ideal. Mm-hmm. But if it came down to it, yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd take it over not. So you okay? So just to clarify, mm-hmm. you'd prefer to be an experiencer than a viewer, but you'd take viewer. Wait, but if view, you're gonna viewer? be an ex- like somebody who sees something. Oh right, we got we should break out the the close encounters scale. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I think my my preferred would be to have. Direct communication with aliens, but not have to, like, go with them against my will. So you want to be able to have, like, a like a barroom conversation, but not be, like, forced to do anything? Yeah, you know, like a, like a men in black situation where it turns out that the dude that, you know, you see at Walgreens every once in a while is an alien, and he just wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Or, like, spaceship lands in your backyard, and they're they're cool just, like having a conversation on, on your turf, you yep, know? Yep. That would be the best case scenario. But um, if it was abduction or nothing, yeah, I think I'd, I'd go for it. And is that like a concept that's scary to you or is that a concept that's exciting to you or both? Yeah, both. Mm. It usually seems like it's not very pleasant. Well, 
Yes and no. There like, are some exceptions, yeah. I would I would say, I don't know. I feel like with the stories that I encountered, it's like half the people it feels traumatic and half the people it seems like it was like like kind of cool or like enlightening or spiritual in some yeah, sense. Yeah. Or or almost in some of the cases, like um they were just sort of ambivalent about it after the fact. Not ambivalent about the like it happening, but like the energy of the experience was neither particularly positive or negative. It was just sort of like a neutral interaction that occurred. Right. Right. Um, which I found fascinating because I feel like no matter what, it would be traumatic because it would be an upending of your fucking life and understanding of the universe. But maybe is that's that inherent, separate from Is that inherently traumatic though? That could be, I think that would then depend on how you react to that more than anything, right? That's a good point because there are people I think who are comforted by. Uh, by the knowledge or belief of our our not being alone. Yeah. And if that's the way that that's proved to you, if somebody's like, hey, come here real quick, I gotta show you something. Yeah. Then maybe it's that like, is uh, a positive. I think to, to some degree, you could liken it to uh, people's experience with uh, hallucinogens. For some people, mm. it's like a really light, enlightening spiritual experience and for some people, uh, it's it's scary and bad and a good trip versus a bad mm. trip. And a lot of that is like the setting in which it happens and your own state of mind going into it and after the fact. Right, right. Yeah, it's a manifestation of where you're at. Right. Psychologically more than it is like an actual reflection of... It's like all experiences, honestly. it's a lot, It has a lot more to do with like how you take it and what you do with it than the experience itself. That's a good point. You want to hear about one that's fucking weird and had a uh, mostly positive outcome on the two people involved? Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about happy happy alien. Uh, I, mean, I don't know if it was happy. It was sort oh, of neutral, but you know, it's, I think it's outcome. a good it's a good example of what we were just talking about. It mm. is it is what you make of it. Okay, let's Pas- do it. Pascagoula, Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah. Mississippi. Nineteen seventy three, October of nineteen seventy three. Okay. Two gentlemen, Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker, mm-hmm. were fishing along the banks of the Pascagoula River. Pascagoula. Uh, these guys, these guys <laughs> I don't know. worked together, and after work one day, they decided to go do some fishing and drink some beers down by the river. As you do. Charles Hickson was forty-two, and Calvin Parker was nineteen. Okay. Um, and Calvin had just started working at the. Uh, I think they worked at like a quarry or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they were hanging out after work fishing and they heard a what charles described as like a mechanical hissing sound coming from above and behind them so yeah. they're on the banks of the river facing the river obviously from behind they hear this mechanical hissing sound turn around to look at whatever is there and they see an oval shaped craft about 30 to 40 feet across and about 10 feet high mm-hmm. with two pulsating blue lights on it Whoa. And as they're turned around looking at it, they see a door, like a sliding door open on the side of this craft, and a bright beam of white light comes out. Which, what, br- bright white or blue light is, uh, is a very classic recurring descriptor of abductions and yes. abductees' experiences. Yes. We'll get to some of those in a second. So as they're looking at this craft with this bright white light coming out of it, they see three creatures emerge from this craft. Oh. And uh, Charles described them as looking robotic, 
but being about five feet tall, covered with gray, uh, wrinkled, like elephant-like skin. <laughs> and they had a just like a thin slit for a mouth and eyes. And then their nose and ears were like uh like cone shaped. So coming to a, a like a, a very thin point. Dolby is a free elf. <laughs> but like not no <laughs> God damn it. Not not like nose or ear shaped, but like literally a cone. Okay. So not conical. No, a true cone. Lit- literally a cone coming to a a point. Cone heads. Uh-huh. Uh no. Cone faces. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Got it. And their hands were claws. But not like it was the same texture as their skin. But instead of having fingers and hands, they had like lobster two-pronged claws. This is one of the m- strangest most odd descriptors of a extraterrestrial sighting i think i've ever heard yeah i don't i've not heard this specific you know you have sort of like the prototypes of yeah of the grays or like the tall blonde people or the insect people or whatever this doesn't seem i haven't heard this one anywhere else me neither um yeah so they have lobster claws five feet tall elephant skin uh one like big stump leg so they didn't have two separate legs. It was just like a big like tree trunk monopod leg. Pogo stick? Yes, but they floated. They didn't walk or hop. They oh, just sort of like cool. glided across the ground. Got it. So he sees these three. I don't know why he said they were robotic because like everything he describes about them sounds uh, like organic. Mm. But he said he knew they were robots somehow. Mm. And so he sees them descend gliding down from this ship. Two of them them grab him, and one of them grabs Calvin Parker. Okay. As soon as the the third one grabs Calvin, he passes out. I mean, so the, the rest that's of, reasonable. <laughs> I I might. The rest of this story is told from Charles's point of view, but he said that the uh, the three creatures grabbed them and they ascended by floating back up to the spaceship with the three robot elephant alien creatures. <laughs> What's the, what's the guy who, who passed out's name? Calvin. And the other guy is? Charles. Charles. So Charles is telling the story. because Calvin- From that point on, yes. Because Calvin <laughs> Calvin saw the robot elephant aliens and just... We out of here! <laughs> checked out. I can imagine this going down at a bar. Like, Charles is like four deep. And he's like, so anyway, Calvin passes out <laughs> like a little fucking baby. And I'm out here like... Hey, Calvin, wake up. I'm trying to not get abducted, bro. Can you help me for a second? Can you pull on my leg and put me back down, please? You're a piece of shit. (laughs) Fucking holler at your boy, Calvin. Wake up. So the rest of this interaction is told from from Chuck's point of view because Calvin is out of here. Calvin is late tired. (laughs) (laughs) So they they take the, uh, the alien robot elephants take... Charles and Calvin aboard their ship and perform a sort of uh, cursory medical exam. And it doesn't, it didn't sound as scary as a lot of the, mm. uh, the medical examinations that you hear about in alien abduction stories. There was no probing. There was no extraction of any kind. There was, was there no an imp- implementation or 
Any what? I said implementation. I meant implantation. Uh, no. Mm-mm. No tracking devices. No uh, alien hybrid human program. None of that. Just mm. uh, you know, a good once over, and then they they plopped them back down on the on the river riverbank. Right so, back into their fishing boat. Well, they were on. They were standing on a, like a, a pier. Oh, but, got it. Um. So Calvin at this point wakes up and he's kind of freaking out because he remembers the last thing he remembers is being grabbed by lobster claw elephant guy. Uh, Charles recounts to him what he just experienced for the last 30 to 40 minutes. Bro, you missed it. (laughs) What? Oh, dang. What? What do you mean? You missed a lot. (laughs) So it's, uh, they're not sure how long they've been inside of this spaceship for. Mm. Um, But they don't think that too much time has passed. It's now dark out. They decide that they don't want to continue fishing. (laughs) So they go to Charles's car well, anyway, you got any worms left? <laughs> and they uh, they sit there for a minute in Charles's car and trying to figure out what they do next. You know, do they just go home and not tell anybody? Do they go to the cops? Do they stick around to see if the lobster claw aliens come back? Do they walk into the river and <laughs> just so perish in, themselves? <laughs> in the meantime, Calvin from somewhere finds a bottle of whiskey and just starts putting the whole thing in his head. A man after my own heart. (laughs) He gets it. And after several shots of whiskey and and some deliberation, they decide that the best course of action is to call the nearest Air Force base and report what they have seen. Because unidentified flying things probably have something to do with the Air Force base nearby. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. they'd like to tell them that one of their crafts is full of lobster claw elephant people who are kidnapping fishermen sure sure the air force base tells them to fuck right off and they don't deal with that sort of thing and they should try calling the sheriff's department they're also they're also a couple of drunk fishermen at that point which correct correct you guys you didn't uh you didn't lend a whole lot of cred to yourself by getting shit faced as soon as the aliens uh dropped you off but also i don't blame you, you no know? not in the least i'm just saying if you wanted them to take you seriously be like Okay, so here's what happened. We were fishing, right? There, there's this. Uh, there's a video on YouTube that is like a compilation of all the um, like the TV news stories about this at the time because this ended up being like a pretty big story in the press locally. Whoa. And I guess after they decided that they were going to call somebody about this, they didn't have a phone with them, obviously, because it's 1973. So they had to go find a phone to use somewhere. Sure. And there's an interview with these two women who uh, I think worked at like a, a store nearby where they where Calvin and Charles went first to try and use the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's these two like middle aged black women who are just like <laughs> talking about how these very drunk dudes showed up at the door and kept like, we 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 saw some aliens. <laughs> and, let us in. And, and let let us in. We just. Can we I, we gotta call we gotta call the the, the air force about the, the the lobsters took Chuck. It took Chuck. Chuck. Somebody call somebody. Chuck napped on the ship. And and, uh, and these women are just like, hell no, we didn't we didn't let them in. We no. told that we locked the door and we told them to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> Which is definitely the reasonable thing to do with two drunken fishermen who are And it's like this this one main woman is telling the story and the and the other woman is staying next to her. Just and, like disapproving. The only thing she says the whole time is like 
They were very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, can we, can we get the audio of her saying uh, they I'll, were very drunk I'll, so that we can add that to the soundboard? Yes. Nice. Um, I think she kind of talked over. They kind of talked over each other, but I'll, I'll see if it works. Eventually, they call the sheriff's department and report what they've seen and experienced, and they they go down to to the sheriff's department, mm-hmm. and they're interviewed separately to try and sort out what has happened and maybe give them a little time to to sober up. Yeah. Yes, and because the the sheriff assumes the same thing that the that the two women did that these are just like some drunken idiots who are uh, off their rockers. So they interview them both separately, and they both tell essentially the same story. And they're trying to figure out what to do next because it's not clear if anything illegal has happened uh, to these guys or because of these guys. They don't really know what's going on, but it seems like these guys are genuinely freaked out about something and are insisting that something happened. Go arrest that alien. <laughs> right. Okay. Um... So they put the two of them in a room to kind of buy themselves some time to figure out what, if anything, they need to do about this. And also, this room has a microphone and a tape recorder running in it. And so they wanted to give them some time together and be able to listen to their conversation to see... Uh-oh. Do they, you know, once we put them together, do they start talking about this story that they fabricated and like, what do we do next? Do you think they bought it? Blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. And instead, they hear the two of them recounting what had just happened and kind of losing their shit about it. being freaked out. Yeah. You want to hear the audio? What? Fuck yeah, I do. Okay. So this is... This is after they've both been interviewed separately and they're now sitting together at the sheriff's office. So it's the first time they've... Give me the year again, 1973. 73. So this is the first time that they've, since they decided to like be public about it, that they've talked to each other about what just happened. Yeah. So uh, it's probably sort of hard to understand that, but um, it's Parker speaking first, and he says, I sure as hell almost had a heart attack. God, I ain't shitting you. I came one damn inch from dying. Oh. So that's the the younger dude who passed out right away. So I'm not sure how he's concluded that he was almost dead, but obviously he's pretty shaken up by whatever just happened. Yeah, his presumption that he was so fucking scared that he just fucking, like, passed out. Yeah. Could have felt like some sort of dying. And Hickson says, I know it scared me to death too, son. Jesus Christ, have mercy. And he says, what's so bad damn, what's so damn bad about it is that nobody believes us. I thought I'd been through enough hell on this earth, and now I have to go through this. Hmm. So, they don't know they're being recorded. It's not an, it's not an act. They don't say, hey, remember when the lobster claw elephant alien took us up into the spaceship and <laughs> checked our ears and nose, but... Yeah, I remember. Obviously, they're scared about something. Right. Something real and frightening just happened to these two guys. Right. And it's... And, it, and like, this is also something that 
we talk about related to the stuff that we talk about on the show, which is like, it's not like they were like, we heard a noise or we, we saw something weird and couldn't tell what it was. So we ran like, there's some pretty specific descriptors being put forth as this is what we saw. And I always find that level of specificity to be pretty fascinating. Especially in this case when it's not necessarily part of like the the UFO canon at that point. Yeah, sure. You know, it wasn't, oh, we saw little gray guys in a flying saucer. It was some specific and some very unique descriptions of like, a sliding door is not usually part of what people describe on a UFO. Yep. And one tree trunk legged lobster claw elephant guys floating is not usually what people describe aliens looking like. Right. And if it is a fabrication, it's a not a very believable one in yeah, that way. Yeah. You know, right. like it's it's not uh probably what you would say if you were trying to convince someone that you had just seen an alien. Right. 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 So the the sheriff's department didn't really have any any grounds on which to keep them there. They didn't have any evidence that anything had been done had taken place that they would need to investigate or do anything about, take any sort of action. So they sure. they let them go. Uh, they did first bring them to the local hospital just to make sure that they were fit to be released into their own custody medically. Um, well, and probably psychologically too, because yeah. especially. Uh, Parker, the younger dude, was, I guess, more upset and uh, a little bit out of sorts over whatever had just happened. Sure. So they went to the hospital, they were examined, and they were released the same night. Two days later, they were interviewed by J. Allen Hynek. Mm. Mm-hmm. And James Harder, who at the time was the uh, head of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Mm. They did an interview with both of them and then uh, did a hypnotic regression with both of them. Uh Uh-oh. I know. Every time, bro. Every time. Every time. But in this case, at least most of the information about their encounter had been recalled and retold before the hypnotic regression, mm. as opposed to something weird happened. I learned about what that thing was once right. I was hypnotized. Right. Yeah, yeah. They actually didn't gain much more information from hypnotizing them. Mm. Um, I think in this case, it was more to try and verify whether they were fabricating this or not. Got it. Like, put their stories up against each other and, like, yeah, try and to poke holes a little bit, maybe. Maybe it's harder to maintain a lie while hypnotized, if that's what's happening. Yep. Um, both Hynek and Harder concluded that they, that Hickson and Parker had experienced, quote, or had had, quote, a real frightening experience. Mm. Whatever it was that they encountered, it was real, and they were genuinely scared of it. It was a close encounter of the third kind. Is that when you go aboard a ship? Uh, I always get these. I always get these messed up. So that the scale itself actually belongs to Jalen Hynek himself, right? Uh, and the uh, the first is uh, lights. 
The second, uh, nocturnal lights, excuse me, so night Wait, lights. so a close encounter of the first kind is seeing lights in the sky at night that you can't identify? No, there are actually three levels before a close encounter of the first kind. Oh, okay. So, so not, those levels have names? Yeah, but but like the first, is, the, the the actual Heineck scale number, the first step of the scale is nocturnal lights. The second step is daylight discs. The third step is radar visual cases. Okay. Uh, the fourth step is a close encounter of the first kind, which is when a UFO is within 200 yards but has no interaction with the viewer or the environment. A close encounter okay. of the second kind is when a UFO interacts with the environment, whether that means leaving physical evidence on the ground, on an animal, or on a human. <laughs> it lands on a turtle. There's a squish turtle. Squish. Close encounter uh, of the second kind. Dead turtle. Dead Classic. <laughs> Classic. Uh... Uh, cattle mutilation, though, that'd be a second kind, right? If you saw a UFO do it. Right. Well, we talked about some of them where, like, they had ships over fucking, like, pastures and shit. And then they so, yeah, them. in that case, yes. But if you just find a dead cow, no. Right. <laughs> yes. It's a close encounter of the... <laughs> close in cow... It's a close encounter. Get out. That was horrible. You get out. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> you get right out. <laughs> and a close encounter of the third is... uh when an occupant of a UFO, humanoid or otherwise, is seen by a viewer. Haven't there been other degrees added to this scale later on, too? Um, I don't know. I just know those are the the initial six. Okay. I think people have added on to it over the years also. That would make sense to to account for like a close the encounter growing of, phenomenon of like exactly the kind that we're talking about today, right. which is both like having an actual interaction between a UFO and a human being or the occupant of a UFO and a human being as, and I would imagine a step further would be the being pulled aboard one of those things. And then like a close encounter of the ninth kind is when you father 10,000 alien hybrid babies and paint pictures of all of your sexual encounters. Sex painter alien man. And then go with them permanently and become the mayor of a small alien village. The mayor. <laughs> Does he think he's the mayor of an alien village? No, I'm, I'm adding on. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. He's only a, an eighth degree encountery. Was that a paid episode that we talked about that on? I think I don't it was. know. I can't even remember. Da- uh, David Higgins, right? Is that the guy? David Higgins, the guy yeah. who paints himself having sex with aliens. For those that don't know, if you're a new listener, we do this uh, twice a week, and you can get a second episode of the What If Podcast every week if you go to uh, patreon.com slash whatifpodcast. It's only five bucks a month, and you get four extra episodes every single month for that $5. And sometimes we talk about similar but different shit on the paid episodes. So, uh, oh, oh, I'm going to do it! Yeah, you are. Shout out to everybody who joined the Patreon this week. Appreciate y'all. Thank you for your support. Also, for everyone who keeps asking me about those specific uh, sounders that we play, yeah, give one pug like P U G life a uh, a YouTube search, and you will find many many videos. I'll say I'll say start with googling Ray's last jump, mm. and then I apologize. <laughs> no, no, no. Just just that's a good it's a good place to begin in the in the pug life. Right. Right. Universe. Yeah, any videos that have Ray in them are where you, this this is Ray. Holy shit. Hey. And yeah, we love Ray. That's where you want to start. Yes. So um, that that's basically the story. Yeah. 
and I, they they went on to tell this story many more times in many more locations. Sure. Uh, in the they did well. Hickson did a pretty full uh, press run after this incident. Parker was much more hesitant to talk about it, and it seemed like he was more personally affected by mm. the interaction. Um, but then later in life, started talking about more. And Hickson, up until he died in 2011, maintained that that is what happened to him. Interesting. And I believe Calvin Parker is still alive and still maintains that that is what happened to them. Fascinating. I think that's that story is a really interesting and good one to start with because it actually points to a lot of um, like similarities in the documentation of alien abduction cases, as well as a few things that are like pretty different than other alien abduction cases. I feel like does it make sense to go through kind of like the here's generally what is observed the the tropes the tropes of alien abduction? Sure. I think one of the things that I was fascinated about, and I didn't actually know this, but there's never been like one good holistic study done on alien abduction. But I found a stat that said uh, in the last like 50-ish years, uh, there've been somewhere in the realm of like 200,000 reported cases of alien abduction, which are, I mean, it's obviously like it's people coming forward and saying it. Um, So there could potentially even be more people who had this has happened to that don't feel like talking about it yeah i wonder how those are being reported too though because like a lot of the places that gather those reports like move on and and such don't have a great way of i mean that none of them are verified and they don't have a great way of like even cataloging and indexing them sure sure and like i not that this probably happens often but like i could go file a 100 percent false alien abduction report with MUFON right now. Yes. And it would be on their website in their index of alien abduction reports. Yes. Without any sort of verification whatsoever. That, so well, I, mean, I just wonder... Define verification, though. I mean... Well, the, uh, exactly. We, we wouldn't be able to really verify any of this. That is my point. <laughs> Which kind of, to me, makes those numbers not super meaningful. Other than it, it's like... I guess it speaks to the cultural phenomenon and like awareness, cultural awareness of this alleged phenomenon. Sure. I also think too, though, and this is something we've talked about as well, but like in, in many situations, I think like pointing to this, uh, this Chuck Charles gentleman who was like somewhat traumatized by this experience, but proceeded to can or continued to like speak about it in public or maybe not super Hickson seemed not, Charles Hickson seemed not very traumatized and went on to or the write, other write, a, write a book about it and make, That's right. make a movie about it and tried to get a TV deal about it. Okay. So he was pretty into it. And uh, Calvin Parker. That's right. Calvin was the one who went to, went night night. Yeah. But like. Which is, which is weird considering like he probably experienced less of whatever they experienced because he says he passed out, but seemed to be much more negatively affected by it mm. and had a harder time dealing with Whatever it was that he experienced. Yeah. I guess I just think when I when I hear those types of stories, which seems like, I don't know, a decent amount of people, it's interesting to me because I, I can't account for all of those self-reported cases with people who just, like, want to make up a story. You no, know? it's certainly not all of them. I, obviously, if I, if I thought it was all of them, then 
it wouldn't be worth talking about. Right. I just, I, I'm always skeptical of trying to like quantify sure. the number of reports or instances because there's just no, there's no way to verify that any of these have happened or we wouldn't be having this conversation. That's, you know what I mean? That's true. That's true. But yeah, I, I guess maybe more so as sort of a, a general indicator of, like you said, like the cultural phenomenon of, of how yeah. widespread it is. Um, but yeah, so let's get into just a handful of these, like these sort of generally, uh, shared characteristics. So, uh, one of the interesting things about the, uh, Calvin and Charles story is that it was two people at the same time, which actually yep. generally with abduction cases, it's, it's an individual in an isolated incident, wherever they are. It's, you're in your bed alone or you're in your car alone or you're in a field alone or you're camping alone or whatever, whatever. There, there are a lot of elements of the Pascagoula one that are unique compared to the majority of alien abduction stories. That, sure. That being one of them. Um, in that isolation, people are generally met with some sort of light, whether mm -hmm. all encompassing or just like viewed. There is a, bright beam of lights generally referred to as white or blue uh, that people see or are encompassed by. Um, there is often an element of transportation, like movement being either like actually physically guided. Like I've seen uh, a couple of the ones I came across for people who like felt like they were actually being like, Hey, come with me kind of guided mm -hmm. um, by an actual like, extraterrestrial entity of some kind um or sometimes it's like enveloped by light and then you wake up in a new place like yeah. transportation has occurred whether you experienced it or not which i think is in my experience just reading about this stuff seems more common that it's yeah. um an involuntary movement to another location yeah uh usually people often report being physically unable to move yeah paralyzed or, yeah. or uh or or limited in I've I've seen like straight up paralyzed like that mm -hmm. uh limited in movement like feeling like you don't you don't have like full autonomy over your limbs or one that we've talked about before that came up a lot as well as like the um the whole like I was just doing a thing but I didn't have like I didn't know why I was doing it, but it just right. like, seemed right at the time. I but just, I was just I going just in that direction, or woke up and knew that I needed to go outside and look up. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. It, but like there wasn't any. Yeah, which some of these elements, especially the not being able to move, being in your bed alone at night. Yes, I think are what lend people to often say, "Well, it's sleep paralysis." Right. These things, uh, obviously, being asleep when it starts. Yes. Being unable to move, having a sensed presence of some kind are yep. all elements of sleep paralysis. Right. And while that probably accounts for some of these, there are lots of stories like the Pascagoula one where these guys were both wide awake and outdoors and together yeah. and doing an activity right. actively. Right. Um, where that sleep paralysis or other similar experiences wouldn't explain any of what happened to them. For sure. For right. sure. N not to mention the fact that it was a shared phenomenon. Right. Right. Um, another common one that obviously was present in the Chuck and Calvin story is uh, 
medical exploration or experimentation or implantation or uh, stuff like that. Extraction. Sometimes extraction, yes. Um, And for many people, it's related to reproduction, Mm -hmm. which is why there's a lot of talk in the research around uh, like this whole hybridization thing and... Uh, some people theorize the the alien abduction phenomenon is that the aliens are trying to learn about how we reproduce so that they can reproduce with us uh, or, or, or create yeah. some sort of super race or figure out our structure. Basically the X-Files theory, if you ever watch X-Files. Um I think part of it too, especially with the the gray aliens, which are a, a probably the most commonly reported type of alien. Yep. Little short gray guys. Yep. Uh, big heads and and such. Uh, one of the theories there is that they are uh, some sort of non biological entity, mm. or they are some sort of entity that is unable to reproduce, mm. and so the only way that they can reproduce is by extracting uh, reproductive elements from human beings mm. um seems like that wouldn't really uh sustain your population out in another galaxy galaxy but yeah, well, i don't know so, so I, many of these things are interesting on like a psychological level too of like these are common fears that people have uh which part being alone at night sure um lots of people have fears about medical all sorts of medical things yep uh, lots of people have fears and anxieties around all sorts of reproductive things. Sure. Like much of this really plays on sort of like innate human uh, fears and anxieties. Sure. That are just like part of the human experience for, yep. for a lot of people. Yep. That I wonder like, I don't know, if, if there is a real phenomenon happening, it would be really hard to separate what is psychological from what is not sure and what we are uh putting onto that experience yeah yeah versus what is being imprinted on us yep because it it does seem odd that if there were a totally different race of or a totally different species that evolves on a different planet under totally different circumstances that they would be so similar to us and no mm. And be interested in, you know, like, why isn't an alien just like a uh, a little floating speck that doesn't interact with us at all? Maybe it is. Well, right. Why Why do they you're have saying, two legs and two arms and need rep- and need sperm? You're saying they're... <laughs> like, that just doesn't... You're saying, that seems so improbable to me. You're saying that we, because we envision them as humanoid, it, it appears that that would be a human brain projection of Correct. things. Correct. Sure, I can see that. And like, they fly around in metal crafts. Like, really? We fly around in metal crafts. Right. You evolved on a different planet, and somehow you came to the same like kind of stupid conclusion that we did about how to get around. I mean, I think the the assumption is that because we are far and away the most evolved species that we are aware of, mm. that are. By our own definition, yes. What do you mean? Well, we're defining the criteria for most evolved, so obviously we're going to put ourselves at the top. We are, we are, as far as we know, we are the most intelligent 
being on this planet. Right, but also by purely our own evaluation. The dolphins probably don't think we're the, the most evolved beings on this planet. We can't even go in the ocean, and that's 80% of the planet. Yes. Um, but we also know that, like, dolphins can't build airplanes. We call that intelligence, which is like That's what I'm saying. We're, de- we're defining it, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. We're uh, also really bad at a lot of things. We are, absolutely. We are. And we overlook those when evaluating our, <laughs> our, our intelligence in this yeah. life, yes. Yeah, we also, like you know, kill each other constantly and ruin things and do lots of, like, incredibly stupid things on a daily basis. Right. If you put enough of us together, we're really fucking dumb. How many human beings does it take to kill a planet? We're we're yeah. going to find out yeah. in, like, five years. Right. <laughs> um, Octopuses have been here for a lot longer than us and have had a much more successful uh, lifespan. And are just generally kind of cooler. Yeah. Um, the, final, the final thing on the list is uh, being returned after missing time. Which yeah. uh, is a is often either a return to the place you remember starting from, or sometimes is being returned to a place you have no idea how you got to, right. but is a is a place that you just sort of snap to after your um, after your exploration and or experimentation. Which was sort of present in the in the Pascagoula story in yeah. that they were taken. Yep. They neither of them was sure how long that they were in this ship for. Right. But they were aware of some passage of time. It was not an instant I was here and then I was there or I yep. was here and then I was back. They right, were aware right. of some amount of time in between. And they were returned to the same location where they had started from and could estimate, you know, they said it was they felt like thirty or forty minutes. Mm-hmm. And there was no one else there to verify that. Right. But that seems to fit with like the general schedule. The order of, of events that happened that night. Based on the time that you were drunkenly banging on these ladies' store. Right. Um, and the time that you left work. Yes. 30 or 40 minutes seems we, reasonable. We can, yeah, we can put that together. Um, But yeah, the I think one of the things that I find or found fascinating about this whole phenomenon, and and I feel you on the whole, like, these seem to be a lot of manifestations of, uh, of kind of human fear or like human experience. Um, but the fact that there are so many people with these stories that do really echo those specific sentiments, mm-hmm. um, is really fascinating to me and, and fascinating in a way where I go like, well, I think actually now's probably a good time. So I did some reading about uh, Jonathan Edward Mac, MD. Yeah. Who we've talked about John Mac on the show before, I think in passing. Well, we talked about him on the aerial phenomenon episode oh, that we yeah. did because he yep. was the, the Zimbabwe aerial school UFO incident. He was the primary investigator and interviewer of those students. Yes. Um, after that event took place. So we've talked about him in that context, at least that's right. probably other times in passing. That's right. And he also, um, he also, you know, through that and through many other things has been seen over time as like a leading scholarly examiner of people having UFO and alien and abduction experiences. At the time that he was investigating the aerial UFO incident, he was employed by Harvard, Harvard University. Yeah, he worked at Harvard. He, yep. was, he was 
pretty legit in a uh, in a scientific sense. For sure. Uh, he also won a Pulitzer Prize, and uh, yeah, like I said, MD like was a real doctor, et cetera. Like, yeah. smart dude, accomplished dude. Um, and uh, in the nineties, uh, Max spent about ten years studying roughly 200 men and women who had reported uh, encounters with aliens, many who had stories of being recurring, having like recurring abductions uh, throughout the course of their life. And uh, he has some really interesting quotes about it. Uh, There was a Nova program called Kidnapped by UFOs that PBS did. Um, where they interviewed John Mack, uh, and he's, I don't know, he's got some really fascinating quotes on, on the subject. And I guess it goes back to the sort of the broad scope of a, how many people this has happened to B his ability to like concentrate on a small group of those people and then get more information out of them about this, these sort of recurring themes. And, uh, so yeah, he's, they, he got asked by the Nova, the 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 PBS people about basically like whether or not it's real. <laughs> uh, like basically, he says that when he started doing his research, he was a skeptic, and that over the course of his actual scholarly investment of time and energy into the topic, converted to well, not a believer, but a believer of a sort. I just want to read this quote really quick. He says, the idea that we could be reached by some other kind of being creature intelligence that could actually enter our world and have physical effects as well as emotional effects was simply not part of the worldview that I had been raised in. So that I came to a, so, so I came very reluctantly to the conclusion that this was a true mystery. In other words, that I, I did everything I could to rule out other sources like sexual abuse Some of these people are abused, but they're able to tell and distinguish clearly the abduction trauma from other forms of abuse. Some forms of psychoses or people of making up stories, I could reject that on the basis that there was no gain in this for them or for the vast majority of these people. I've now worked with over 100 experiencers intensively, which involves an initial two-hour or so screening interview before I do anything else. And in case after case after case after case, I've been impressed with the consistency of the story, the sincerity with which people tell their stories, the power of feelings connected with this, the self-doubt, and all of the appropriate responses that these people have to their experiences. And I just thought that was interesting because, you know, in the in the face of some of the stuff that we talk about, like, are we projecting our human experience onto a dream or a daydream or a psychosis or, or some a, other traumatic event? A traumatic or... event from our history, etc. It seems like most people who have these experiences, it's it's something separate from from what we understand like a normal set of experiences throughout the course of a day to be. You know, mm-hmm. I I know when I'm daydreaming, sitting at my desk in high school. I know when I have a super fucked up dream at night where I'm like, ugh, that was one of those yucky, gross, real dreams that like fucked me up this morning. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it seems like everybody who has these stories, not everybody, but many of the people who have these stories have this other, like, it's like this separate echelon of experience that they attribute this 
specific phenomenon too. It's not a daydream. It's not a not a nightmare. It's not a dream dream. It's not a it's like this completely separate thing that they identify it as. And then to to your point about um Calvin being sort of traumatized by the experience even though he experienced less of it, this whole concept of people being like really earnest in their tellings of these things and very like like having self-doubt, like, I don't know, like, I think that's what I saw, but it fucked me up and I'm scared and it's weird. And like, right. You know, knowing that that is going to be, uh, there's going to be some amount of shame associated with being public about that too. Yeah. It's not going to be received well by most people. For sure. That's the other thing. I mean, Mac himself for even like giving credence to some of these like people was eventually sort of, you know, looked at a little bit questionably by the scientific and scholarly community. Right. And that was just investigating this like as a psychiatrist. Right. Exactly. Not even saying these people have been taken by aliens saying, I want to figure out what's going on with these people who claim to have been taken by aliens. Exactly. As a psychiatrist working for Harvard. Yep. (laughs) Like if if that does not insulate you from the, the skepticism and, and doubt and shame associated with it, like, as just a regular person saying, no, this actually happened to me. This right. is not just something I'm curious about. Completely. This is a personal experience that I'm now sharing to varying degrees of publicly. Right. Whether it just be in a study or I'm going to write a book about it or I'm going to go on TV or radio or whatever and talk about it. Right. You open yourself up hugely. Totally. For to even like, further on the spectrum than Mac himself. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, isolate yourself from in a way that is uh, probably not helpful to whatever you're dealing with. Right. Whether it is actually alien abduction or something else. Yep. That outcome is probably not going to help you process that. Completely. Well, and I think that too contributes to why when you're like, you know, there's no way to verify the actual reports from, you know, like the kind of general numbers that could put out there. I completely agree with that. And yes, there are 100% people out there who want to want to have a story, want to feel less alone in the universe, etc. They glom onto these things, they manifest from movies they've seen in Hollywood and all these experiences. I 100% believe there's an element of that, but there's also this isolation and skepticism and ridicule element of having a story where you'd say that you got taken into a spaceship and something put in your butt and then you woke up in your field like an hour and a half later. Yeah. Like to be able to tell that story, I'm sort of like, I'm obviously it's not a real story, but like there are elements of all of those things that in in these stories that people have. And to be willing to say that publicly is like not like a ton of gain and no. is a ton to lose for right. a lot of these people who tell these stories of their own abduction experience. Going back to the numbers for a second, I, I didn't um I didn't mean that to like be dismissive of people's stories or the pheno- phenomenon because I do think there's actually something happening. Yeah. I meant that more as in like the numbers are not really that interesting to me because whether it's happening to one person or 200,000 a year or sure, a sure. million or whatever. Right, right. As long as it's not zero, something is going on. Yes. All it would take out of those whatever, hundreds of thousands of reports yep. is for one to be accurate Yep. for this whole, our whole worldview to have to drastically shift. Yes. And so yes. I don't really care how many it is. I'm more interested in 
what's going on yes with any of them mm-hmm. and yeah obviously it's more concerning or more strange if there are hundreds of thousands of them but i think max approach of i'm going to take a sample of 100 or 200 of these people and really dig in deep and try and figure out what's happening like 200 is probably a big enough sample to get some idea and start seeing some patterns and have at least one or two people in there who have had some sort of real experience. Right. Um, and then move on to, okay, well what's going on on a bigger scale? Yes. You know, it, to start with the 200,000 reports maybe isn't the best way of looking at this Yep. when we don't even know what it is that we're looking at yet. Yep. I think max approach to me makes a lot more sense of taking sort of a more micro level look at it and maybe getting some more hard information about what these people are actually experiencing. That's real. I, I completely agree with that. I, um, yeah. And to that end, I'm like, what is happening? I mean, the, Um, one of the things that Mac points to that I think is pretty interesting is the, um, like the separate cultures that have had documented versions of these experiences. Cause a lot of what we talk about is like having, is this a manifestation of our cultural outlook as people, you know, we talked about like having similar groupings of anxieties and nerves about things. Is this a, is this just a sort of wrapped up manifestation of that into our psyches? But there's also a pretty good number of these cases that are like, not these cases in these exact ways, but very similar stories in like Native American Hopi tradition and in like South African tradition. And like, there are some people who point to specific stories in like the Bible and like the old Testament and Mm -hmm. some religious books as some sort of like teleportation or visiting or these types of things. These tropes have been around for kind of a long time in our culture we may have referred to them as different things. We may have referred to them as being visited by a relig- you know, a prophet, like a religious well, experience. But and, what what does that mean? And when you were talking about people being lured somewhere by aliens or like being convinced to go somewhere with them, there are stories like that that if you go back a ways, that might be about fairies instead. Sure. Or might be about not somebody coming from outer space but coming from inside the earth or coming right. from the forest or these other um unknown parts of the world or you know you look at uh stories about people seeing things out at sea mm-hmm. and i guess that's more what i was getting at is like yeah these things have these types of stories have existed for thousands of years yeah but also they do seem to go through this sort of cultural filter yep. where we didn't really have stories of people from outer space coming in spaceships, at least not frequently until like the forties when is, that was something that we as a global culture accepted, we're starting to accept and trying to do ourselves right, and doing ourselves. And right. so those types of stories about a, creature coming from an unknown place and Mm -hmm. interacting with us Mm -hmm. often in a um, religious 
but also kind of sexual way. Like those stories exist for thousands of years. For sure. But the frame, the framing is a little different. Right. Based on what we as a culture are, are familiar with. Yeah. 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 And I think it's, it's interesting, you know, you point to like, yeah, now these types of, it's not like this just happens in the United States or in North America or whatever. Right. But also since the forties, we have sort of developed a global culture in a way that we hadn't prior to then. Right. And with TV and radio and media and now the internet connecting us more, is it just easier to sort of all be on the same page about certain things? Right. And are we communicating and sharing information in a way that we didn't previously to where those experiences may have been documented uh, differently by different cultures because we were just more isolated? For sure. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that works both in, in support of and against some of these stories where like, yeah, they've existed forever and something is probably going on. Right. Um, but also it does seem to be somewhat determined by us. Yeah. And is that just how we view some actual event that has been happening forever? Or are we in some way manufacturing that? Is it a reflection of us? Yeah. You know, this is going to say a lot about me and maybe be like, whatever. I was about to caveat that too much. I feel like you could lift the exact like last three minutes of what you just said. And it would also really apply to like my personal beliefs on the concept of God. Yeah. Like, is it a reflection of us? Is it a reflection of something that's real that we're all kind of aiming at? But if you look at the cultural history of religion and God, there are there are different versions of concept of deity and rules to follow and writings and readings and ways to they're, they're achieve. They're more similar than they are different a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, one of the uh, one of the most interesting. I had a mentor once who was like. I took world religions classes in college. And one of the things that they would say is in many ways, if you look at world religion, the concept is similar to if there were a single mountain peak in the center of the world, everyone is kind of aiming at the peak of the mountain, but the path to get there for different world religions is very different depending on what side of the mountain you're attempting to climb up. Right. And in some ways, I, I feel like this phenomenon specifically ha echoes a lot of those similar sentiments of like, the concept is sort of vaguely familiar. It's evolved over time. Um, but it seems like multiple cultures and multiple different groups of people are pointing at this concept of, yeah, of, of visitation and transportation and this sort of otherworldly experience that leaves them feeling something like good or feeling something shook Changed at the core way, of their yeah. being. Yeah. Um, and, and in, I don't know, in many ways it, it feels like there are, there are a lot of echoes there of, of what it is. I think your, your phrase of, is it a manifestation of something inside of us that we are projecting outward onto something or is it something outside coming in? Is, I mean, I think it can also definitely be both. Yeah. Yeah, and there's I think that. The, the closest we could probably get to an answer is that it's some combination of the two. Right. It's but somewhere in the middle of that. 
what is that external thing is is maybe the most interesting question. And maybe the scariest part. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Maybe the scariest part. Yeah. All right. We out of here. I don't want to get visited by a pogo stick lobster. <laughs> no we, thanks. We got to go because this episode's late and we're running long. We love you. We, we could do this it. for another like three hours, so we should probably just stop. Yeah. You know what? You know when we will do it for another three hours? Another day. Another day. We'll see you next week. It's the What It Podcast. Love y'all.